Welcome to Northern Goal, the football podcast from the Evening Express and Press and Journal. I'm Ryan Crail, and today I'm joined by Andy Skinner, Jamie Durant, and Paul Third. How are we, folks? Ah, I'm okay, okay, thank you. Thank you. Do I have to answer that? <laughs> well, yes. As I'm sure you're all aware, Scotland's uh, Euro 2020 opener, the one we were so optimistic about, the Czech Republic at Hamden, the group game that was the most winnable. It didn't exactly go to plan, the Scots going down 2-0 um, via two goals from Patrick Schick. Um, both of which, to be fair, were very good goals, but I think we'll get into whether they could have been avoided. But yeah, f- first of all, guys, the emotions of yesterday... I, I myself, I, me, me and you, Paul, we were looking after the live blog and I went from, I think, weeping during the national anthem while also trying to work to, by by late in the second half, just almost ruining the fact that the live blog was part of my, my life and your life because I, I just wanted to crawl up or you know, cur- curl up in a ball and forget it all happened. What were you guys? I mean, I, I can't speak for for the other guys that were there, but um, no, I was. I I kind of got my, found myself getting a little bit emotional. Say when the, the kind of the reactions of the crowd when the players kind of came out even to warm up. Um, when you heard some of the songs that were played on the on the PA system before the game, when they had Lock Lomond on, and um, of course uh, Bakara that was uh, that was played across the the tannoy that drew a drew a kind of a raucous reaction from the crowd, and then the national anthems themselves, like um, it was uh, it was one of those moments where you kind of had to catch yourself a little bit, um, and for the I think for the first kind of ten or fifteen minutes of the game, Scotland kind of fed off that a little bit, um, and. They started pretty well, but once that kind of died down, then you were almost kind of looking for the team then to almost like the, the situation had kind of flipped. You were then looking for the team to give the crowd something to shout about rather than the team being G'd on by the crowd. Um, and it, the, ultimately, they did obviously kind of fail to, to build on that. Um, and I think people will end up coming away disappointed. And I think you've seen like kind of reactions going to extremes across the board in the wake of the disappointment because hopes have been built up after so long away from from a major tournament and I just hope it's I just hope it doesn't kind of put a dampener on things because there's this even though it's going to be very difficult there's still there's still a lot left to play for I think I'm glad you admitted that you were emotional Jamie because the confession I have to make was uh, I was sitting right next to you and I was trying to keep my eyes away from you just so that you didn't catch me uh, having a, a moment or two, but uh, no, it was it was very easy to get swept away with it. So, um, you know, particularly when the the national anthem was was so loud, um, it was quite difficult to believe. Come the end of the match, when the you know the eventual figure of less than ten thousand was was released as being the the crowd, but um, for the players, I, I I kind of agree with you there, Jamie and. It, it did seem as if they were maybe carried away with it a, a wee bit in the, the early stages, which were a, a wee bit erratic in, in patches. Um, I, I mean, there was some decent build-up play without it really ever amounting to, to anything. A couple of kind of signs of you know Andy Robertson urging the you know players around him to calm down a couple of times, um, and I think as the first half went on, 
Scotland did begin to to settle into it relatively well. Um, quite a good spell just around about the half hour mark, where you know Andy Robertson had that shot that was tipped over. Um, at that point in the game, I felt as if Scotland were, you know, very much a match for the the Czech Republic. But I think just the the fine margins of of playing at that level on that stage really came home to roost, um, particularly with you know the the headed opener from uh, Patrick Schick. And uh, as the the game went on, it it became a bit, you know, draining. To be quite frank, you know, just with the the emotion that had gone into it from the the very start, and uh, kind of leaves Scotland looking at a, a long way back in this uh, this group campaign. So, as Andy and Jamie have said, yeah, my my view was very much that <laughs> given. The 23 years we'd waited, given there were fans back in Hamden for the first time in a wee while. I think we all came in this game viewing that as something that would spur Scotland. How could they not How could they not win this massive game against the Czechs? But what I think it actually did or appeared to do was really amp them up to the point where, and I said this this morning to somebody else, that I feel like some of the chances that Scotland had in the game, and there were many, many chances were almost as a result of that that anxiety to produce and perform and do well snatched at at moments. I don't think at one nil down when you're building a bit of pressure in the second half, I don't think Jack Hendry necessarily attempts that shot if there wasn't this desperation to not let this return to major tournament football turn into an opening defeat. I don't know I don't know if you guys think that you you've kind of said, Andy Jamie, that Scotland were maybe affected a little bit by the occasion. Paul, do you, do you agree with that? Um, well, I've got a slightly different take being, how do I say this, the older guy on the podcast today. I've been here and seen this before. <laughs> um, and I know I know you boys were all young whippersnappers the last time Scotland were in France in 1998. But but for me, I mean, I, I just, I've, I've, it is, it's deja vu. You have Scotland, you have the build-up, you have all the hope, the expectation, and then it's rampant belief of we're going to do this by the time two o'clock comes round, and then the emotion carries you away. And it is an emotional experience. I was emotional um, purely as a father who has adult boys who are football daft, but have never seen Scotland play in a major tournament. That's the sort of thing that was coming to my mind as I was enjoying the build-up to this tournament. But the game itself... I mean, you remember, you've got Andy Robertson, actually, I think about 20 minutes gone, he's appealing and caught on camera, going like, boys, calm down, calm down, because it was 100 miles an hour. And that's something that he has experience of, playing at the top level, with Liverpool and Champions League final, winning the Premier League. But other guys in that Scotland team, this is a whole new ball game for them, and it's a huge learning curve. And I actually, if I go back and look at the game, I don't think we played all that bad, really. I thought we were decent, we created good chances in open play, which is not something we've seen an awful lot of Scotland in the, in the last couple of years, but it was decent expansive football. It just it didn't have that clinical touch in, in front of goal to finish it off. And the two goals we concede, the first one is a terrific header, and the second one comes when we're chasing a game and a rush of blood. That same rush of blood that doesn't come from a player if he's got that more experience, but we don't have that. And the only way we're going to get it is by going through these torturous experiences like we had yesterday afternoon. 
I think I think what you what you're seeing is again is those kind of like small mistakes in if they're if they occur in like a Nations League game or a qualifier or a friendly or whatever, there's there's not as much kind of hanging on it. But because you've only got three games basically to to make your mark in a tournament like this, if you if you make an error that leads to a goal, it has a potentially seismic effect on not just that game, but your your hopes in the tournament overall. And you look at the first goal and there's an overload kind of down the right-hand side, which I think had happened maybe a couple of times before the the first goal and Soufal's able to kind of get get the cross in with a little bit of time. I mean, it's a, it's a great leap in between Hanley and Cooper from, from Schick and he does well to direct the header beyond Marshall, but you then look at, should the cross have been stopped at source? Probably. And for the second goal, I think there's maybe, you can maybe kind of share the blame a little bit between Hendry and... And um, and Marshall, I mean, Hendry is probably probably feels confident in his own ability because of the goal he scored against the Dutch in the friendly that he can he can take aim from there. And because of the situation they're in, being behind and needing a goal, that he maybe felt like that was the right decision to make. But you could also say perhaps there should have been a little bit of awareness of what was what was behind him, what was the situation was. Um, and as as far as Marshall is concerned, um, from the kind of the the reviews and reactions that I've seen, like from a goalkeeping perspective, I think there's a kind of consensus that he was maybe 10, 15 yards too high. Like I think Steve Clark said he was there to sweep stuff up. But for me, even if he was, if he was on the edge of his own penalty area, I think he would have been in a decent enough position to get out and clear anything that maybe broke rather than say being closer to kind of the, the halfway line. And he is an older goalkeeper. So maybe he's not got the speed that a younger goalkeeper would have to get back and then try and recover his position, um, unfortunately, because of the world we're living in just now, he's he's become uh, an internet meme um, for probably all the wrong reasons. After all the uh, kind of the joy and uh, amusement that we had in, the, in, the, in his face after saving the penalty against Serbia in the Nations League kind of final, um, to then seeing kind of screen grabs of him kind of jumping backwards into the net or being tangled up in the net, it's it's an unfortunate kind of marker of the kind of the world we're living in just now. And I don't think that should kind of, I don't think that should kind of hang over David Marshall for too long for given for what he's kind of, um, what he's kind of given for the country. There's a rich irony in the fact that at the end of the Serbia penalty shootout, the big moment, the big famous image was him being scared that he'd been too far off his line for Mitrovic's penalty. And then in this game, obviously, there's being too far off your line and then being uh, in a different postcode. But let's not take away from Patrick Schick because all the football people you've heard speaking about it, the people that are more qualified to speak about football than we are, they've they've also all pointed to the fact that you don't just score that second goal that Patrick Schick does. <laughs> like None of us could hit that ball in the net from there. The amount of bend that was required, the fact that he with Marshall getting back as quickly as he did, he still had to slot it into kind of a two feet wide um, gap between Marshall's hand and the, the crossbar, I think. So, yeah, very impressive. And as Paul said, Scotland created quite a lot of chances in the game. However, Paul, I've read a piece that you've written for later in the day where you're talking about team selection for the England game, uh, looking ahead to Friday. I know that Steve Clark, he, he obviously made a lot of changes, some 
some were kind of um, questioned quite a bit. The decision not to play two up front, the de- decision to not play, like, say, Billy Gilmore, or I think somebody we all expected, Callum McGregor, in midfield. Would you make any changes there? Would you make any changes to the defence for Friday? I think I think everything flows from Kieran Tierney's availability. And I think we've seen pictures of him training today, which is a, a good sign. And hopefully he is fit to face England on Friday because he is, for me, along with Robertson, they're the two key guys. We're not blessed with huge, what I would call, international class or world-class players. But the, the two of them are excellent. And probably Scotland's two key men in the entire squad. It's just our luck that we we have two terrific defenders, and they both started out in the same position. And <laughs> we're trying to figure out for so long how to shoehorn both of them in. I think if Tierney plays and Robertson will play, that, that changes how Scotland can go about things. You might see Callum McGregor come back in, but it will certainly free up John McGinn if Tierney's there, because I think McGinn had to almost look over his shoulder at times on Monday and 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 just keep an eye on what was going on behind him because Tierney wasn't there because he is so good at, at reading things and coming on to it and, and just tidying up as well as being a, an excellent attacking force in his own right. I mean, how many rampaging centre-backs have you got in international football? Not many. I mean, he's done it all season for Arsenal in the Premier League and, he, and he's been doing it for Celtic before he went down south. And I don't think he's going to struggle to do it international level either. And then with him, you've got Robertson is able to go himself, knowing there's cover behind him, or cover for Tierney when he goes. But when one of them wasn't there, it suddenly became all the pressure, in yesterday's case, on Robertson. And also, for again had to go, well, I need to hang back here because Tierney's not there and the other guys might want to push forward. And it left, it left that gap. We didn't have that attacking thrust, that energy box-to-box that we need. McGinn will play, and I think he will play further forward on Friday, certainly if Tierney's back. I think McGregor might come back in. I think Christie could be the one that loses out. But there's there's lots of choices to be made. I I don't think Billy Gilmore's coming coming in. It's such a big game, and I know there's a clamour for him, and I know he's such a talented player, but you're damned whatever you do if you're Steve Clark here, because whatever team he picks... As Craig Brown said last week, the team that wins the game is is selected by the manager who gets all the plaudits. And if if you don't win the game, then you, you take all the flack. So he, he he can't win here unless he wins. If that makes sense, I think I think McGinn was probably most adversely affected by the inclusion of of Stuart Armstrong because I think Clark said he wanted to bring in Armstrong because of the his driving runs that he makes from midfield, and you can't really play Armstrong in a two. In midfield, because he wants to get forward a lot from from the kind of the middle of the pitch, and when you've got like McTominay, you're already kind of asking to kind of rein in his kind of instincts to go forward as well. You you probably need that extra coverage in the middle of the park, which means McGinn probably has to play more of his kind of Aston Villa type role, where he's a little bit more kind of um, restricted and kind of has to sit deeper. Whereas if you've got like a McGregor in there or a like back during the kind of the, the Nations League games, like Ryan Jack, someone who is kind of happy to sit in, recycle possession and move the ball about, then it frees John McGinn up to get further forward and, and play closer to the strikers and be the attacking threat that he is for Scotland. So I think, I think, I think I've heard someone say this morning, like against England, you need your, you're going to need your guys that are comfortable on the ball because you can't be, you can't be doing what you, you would, 
doing for passages yesterday where you were just aiming it long to towards Dykes and hoping you can bring it down and hold it up because the ball's just going to come straight back at you and it's already going to be a difficult enough game coming up against England if you if you are on top of your game but if you're just kind of launching it and losing possession within a few seconds of getting it it's going to be a very long day so I think you probably will see McGregor come back in I wouldn't be surprised to see James Forrest on the right hand side of the midfield um, I think he showed in flashes when he came on that he can be well, he can be effective from from that role, and I think Shea Adams as well. He did enough in his in his forty five minutes to show he deserves a start, and I think many people thought he should have been in from the from the uh, from the get go anyway. I think Shea Adams made a a really strong impact when he came on, and it, it wouldn't surprise me to to see him. Uh, handed a, a start on this occasion um, as, as we touched on earlier it's, it's difficult to know who to drop but while still kind of maintaining the structure of the team because we saw with one change as Paul alluded to in Tierney um, you know that that kind of altered adversely the uh, the balance of that left hand side and and the effects that that you know subsequently had on on the likes of John McGinn in midfield uh, but I think finding a, a system that can can get the best out of John McGinn in particular is is really important because you know as we've seen over the the last year or so he he's one of our main goal threats coming from uh, from midfield. Um, I, I would agree that the right hand side of the pitch needs a another bit of a attention. I, th- I think Stephen O'Donnell had a difficult day. Um, we didn't really have any kind of threat from from that position at all and. Um, need to, you know, maybe look at, uh, at that James Forrest option. I think it's maybe a bit too soon for for Nathan Patterson. Um, uh, the other one that's been mentioned is, you know, the potential to to bring Craig Gordon back for for David Marshall um, as a result of the, uh, you know, the the second goal that was scored. And I think that that's a dangerous road to go down at this early stage in the tournament, um, particularly bearing in mind how. How well David Marshall did throughout the rest of the game. Um, funny game in the sense that you know Scotland did have plenty chances of their own to uh, you know find the net, but you know were it not for David Marshall, uh, you know the scoreline could have been um, you know a, a lot more gruesome. Uh, y- y- you know there were a lot of really good kind of last ditch saves uh, throughout both halves, so. I think it would um, it would be wise to to stick with with David Marshall, who was clearly selected as the the first choice going into the the whole tournament. I think you're right, Andy, and I think in general terms, we shouldn't forget. I know I've probably been negative as anything so far in this podcast, but I wrote the leader for the Press and Journal today, and it's very much my opinion that we shouldn't be just throwing away after one game. And well, there's been a couple of dodgy performances in the Nations League and World Cup qualifying but we shouldn't really throw away the positivity that's built up around the national team after just one game we should at least keep it for the next two group games and in in the spirit of that we know to get through to the knockout stages Scotland are going to need at least a win from their games against England and Croatia maybe even a win and a draw although I think it is possible that they can go through with one win um, maybe against Croatia, as long as they don't lose too heavily at Wembley. I think 1-0 at Wembley, if they got beat by that, it would possibly be okay, like, be okay if they then went on to beat Croatia. But let's focus on the England game. Um, 
one one word answers. Will Scotland beat the old enemy in London on Friday? No. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no. I, th- I, I think I think it's a draw. Um, that's, that's how many word one words you're getting from me. No, I, th- I think Scotland can get a draw. I think that's the best outcome Scotland can get. I don't see them beating England at Wembley at, at this stage. Hey, anything's possible, but I just I just don't see it. I'm saying yes, purely because I had a dream about it last week. That's <laughs> where we'll leave that. <laughs> Sounds like a song. <laughs> <laughs> it was a late goal from the edge of the box. I think it was Stuart Armstrong. <laughs> so, well, uh, there you go. He must have missed it. Leave it at that. <laughs> I'm saying yes because I spent £72 on a Scotland top with the Euros patches. And the first game, I have the chance to wear it for. I, I don't want to have to dispose of it in in the bin. So, uh, not that I would do that, of course. But yeah, I want I want I want this decision, this impulse decision, this impulse buy to feel feel worthwhile. I suppose, it, Paul, if it's going to be uh, my, I think my instinct is that it will probably actually be a draw. Maybe um, it'll have to be a low scoring draw, won't it? Though for Scotland to to get one of those. I don't think we've got maybe it, it, two or three goals in us at the moment. No, and it, especially, the first goal is so important at this level, especially for a team like Scotland, because I don't think we'll have two goals in us to come back if we were to concede the first one. We need to try and nick a goal from a set piece or from a mistake if that happens, and then defend as if your lives depend on it. That's that's kind of what Scotland can bring to this level of, of competition because we are up against the big boys and it's we're, we're out uh, <laughs> outgunned at almost every game we go into but it doesn't mean that we, we can't get results it's just a lot has to go for us and we'll have to play well I think I think it might have been on another podcast that was I was listening to this morning but I think they were saying from Euro Euro 2016 there was a couple of teams that got through um, that kind of got through to the knockout stages with only three points on the board like um, Northern Ireland only won one of their three group games and Portugal drew all three of their group games and all of them kind of advanced on goal difference um, ahead of ahead of Turkey and Albania. So again, it, all is not lost at this stage, but you, you do feel like they have to get something against England on Friday. If it's a draw, then... It, it sets up a hell of a hell of a final game against Croatia next Tuesday, um, which has the potential for uh, for all kinds of of joy and despair. I mean, this this trip to Wembley is just a a completely fresh page, and it was always going to be, regardless of of what uh, what outcome Scotland came away with on on Monday. Um, I mean, I'm casting my back to the, my mind back to the last uh, couple of games that Scotland have played down there, and. I remember being at the three 0 defeat um, the last time. It, I think it was a a qualifier for the the World Cup, and I mean Scotland went down three 0 that night, but they they actually created two or three fantastic chances before going a goal down. And as Paul's touched on, I think that just you know highlights the importance of that first goal. It can it can really um, you know set set up what uh, what's to follow. Um, there was another game, I think it was a friendly, where Scotland lost uh, 3-2, but they, they gave a, a very good 
showing and, and you know, a, a game full of adrenaline because it had been the first meeting between the two sides in a, in a long time. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's those sorts of uh, kind of high octane performances that, that Scotland are, are going to hope to, to kind of benefit from if, uh, if you know, if, if they are to, to get a, you know, even a, a point out of this, uh, this game on Friday. I might be um, a way to stun some of our listeners, but some might have gathered by Jamie's accent that he's not technically from the, this uh, here parts. But um, as a man who will be following England a lot closer than we are, I was wondering what your take was on England's performance against Croatia on Sunday, Jamie. In, in kind of some way, I thought it was it was decent enough. I mean, Croatia were, I think it's fair to say, Croatia were pretty poor. They didn't really pose too much of a threat to England and I think that England had a lot of it kind of their own way um, I thought Calvin Phillips was very good and he was he's probably kind of cemented his place now in the team for the rest of the tournament I think there's there's kind of question marks I think still at the back I think again if they are kind of properly tested I'm I'm not convinced by Tyrone Mings I think he had a decent enough game but he wasn't really tested um, on Sunday I think going forwards, if England can have the right find the right formula with the forward players, I think they're almost as good as anybody in the tournament in that respect. If you look at the options he's got available, Gareth Southgate. Um, if you consider that Jane Sancho and Marcus Rashford and Jack Grealish didn't get on, didn't start the game on on Sunday. I know Marcus Rashford came on as a as a sub, but I think Grealish is probably the game changer there. That. You would worry if, if say he was he was started against someone like Stephen O'Donnell, which it could it could feasibly be that. I would I would very much worry from a Scotland perspective if that's how it was. Um, if it was someone kind of maybe a little bit um, more kind of direct and predictable, you might fancy your chances as a defensive unit. But I think it would be more difficult if it was someone like like Grealish. Um, I don't know. There's always the feeling with England that there's a and under Southgate, that there's the handbrake on a little bit, and playing two holder midfielders in Rice and Phillips, you you do kind of get this, that safety first approach. Whether whether you'll make changes for the Scotland game, or they'll think right, we need to we need to take Scotland seriously and try and win this game, and then in the last group game we could make changes if we're already through. <sighs> Who knows? But I think. I think they'll get the Scotland will get the respect that they deserved from England. Um, I think I think it's going to be kind of quite cagey. I don't think it'll be. I don't think it'll be open and expansive. Um, and I think that's that's exactly how Scotland need it. They need it to be. They need it to be a kind of a niggly kind of compact game. They don't want it to be free flowing. Patronising. Anyway, <laughs> the the game itself is, of course, the Scotland England games bar the 3-0 game Andy talked about in recent times it has tended to be despite England's wealth of playing resources a great leveller the fact that there's this historic um, rivalry yeah, between the sides but anyway let's move on to a couple of other things that we need to discuss today that concern our club teams moving away from the Scotland national team for a little bit You know what it's like. You buy a new jumper or socks for Father's Day. Your dad makes appreciative noises but folds the jumper aside and smiles. But if your dad or granddad was a football or rugby man when he was younger, 
We've got books with hundreds of never-before-seen photos which will show the interests, the passions, the great days, the best time of your dad's life. He will bury himself in these books for the rest of the day. This is the stuff he really, truly cares about. Yours will be the best gift he's been given in years. With books on Aberdeen FC, Dundee United, rugby, Scottish football internationals, and even football grounds themselves, where he'd have celebrated and commiserated as a boy. These big, beautiful books will feel like a substantial gift when you hand over the parcel. As one of our podcast listeners, you can get an exclusive 15% discount on the books in our Football in the Black and White Era series at dcthompsonshop.co.uk using the code GIFT15 at checkout. That's G-I-F-T-1-5 at the checkout of dcthompsonshop.co.uk. Check the episode notes for details and terms. And if this sounds like something you'd like, go on, treat yourself. Or maybe drop a series of heady hints. Paul. So, Aberdeen have continued their, their work in this summer transfer window, but before we get to that, the fixtures for the Premiership came out this morning, so we'll we'll go through all, all our side's opening games, but I think, in Aberdeen terms... They couldn't have asked for anything better. The old classic of getting a heap of games under their belt before they play Celtic or Rangers, yeah? Oh, it's it's decent. It's very... I mean, I spoke to Brian Ir- Irvin this morning to get his reaction and he made a point that if Stephen Glass was given the option of picking his own fixed journalist, he would have said, well, let me start at home, leave Rangers and Celtic about as far away to the end of the first round of fixtures as you can and I'll take my chances. And if anything, he's got got that and more because he's only playing one of last season's top six in the first five matches um, you, you can't ask for much more a, a new firm derby against a new manager in uh, Tam Court so it's it's all set up to be a, a fascinating opening day of the season for the Dons against Dundee United It's Terry Jenks signed on loan for the season from Brighton and Hove Albion only 19 but a midfielder with we're told a lot of potential. Is he he the new James Madison, the new sort of star in the making that we've got hands on at Aberdeen for a, a wee bit? That would be nice. Um, <laughs> Jenks has already referenced Madison in his his uh, ch- chat with the the Dons Club TV ahead of his his move up here. He'll be joining the team for pre season training next week. I'll be honest, I I haven't seen anything really of Teddy Jenks at this point, but I'm certainly interested. Uh, we, we like new names, things with a, a hint of the mysterious and the unknown, and he comes into that category. He's only 19. He's played for England at youth level, and if Aberdeen have got him for the season. Um, I, I hear he's an attacking midfielder, quite creative. He's been on the bench for the first team a couple of times. He's certainly one that they've got high hopes for. Let's let's see how he gets on. Okay. Obviously, since the last time we've done one of these roundup episodes, we can't touch on everything that's happened. But it should be said that since Aberdeen women have returned to action in SWPL two, they've well, they've they've basically continued where they left off. They've got off a cracking restart. It's probably the best way to put it. The Dons have also released their new home kit. Does anyone want to share some thoughts on that? Do we like it? Do we not like it? I'm a fan personally. It's red. What, do you, what else do you want me to say? It's a, a red strip. 
I think fans are always more interested in the away one these days. Red and black is quite a nice combination, I have to say. I quite like it. I was going to say on the subject of, of kits, as I see in Vanessa's new new kit out yesterday, which I think has got a bit of a bit of a mixed reaction with the it's like white white and grey top and then like turquoise turquoise shorts. It's certainly something that's a a little bit different. Blue spew on white. <laughs> <laughs> I like the Hibs one with the map of the city the map of the city. That was quite smart. Whoa, whoa, whoa. They're they're not in the park. <laughs> right, anyway. Andy. So we've we've touched on the Dons there. Um elsewhere in the premiership Ross County have learned their fixtures to uh, not so um, favourable a start, you would say, for Malky McKay's probably new look staggies. I mean, they've got St Johnston, the Scottish Cup, well, the, the League Cup and Scottish Cup winners. First up, they'll be looking to kick on next season. Then I think they've got the top four from last term in the, the following four games. So No, it's it's a difficult one. Um, yeah, I, mean, I think there's, they'll be happy to start the season at home against St Johnston. Um, you know, that that gives them some chance of, uh, you know, getting off to a, a decent start. But then when you follow that up with Hibs away, Rangers at home, and then trips to Celtic and Aberdeen the, the following couple of weeks, um, it's <laughs> just about as difficult as it could get. But, um, I mean, that's certainly not the, you, you know, the sort of the, the point in the, the table where County are looking to be swimming in this coming season. And they will have a batch of games against some of the teams that they're looking to emulate that will be coming up after that, you know, with the likes of St Mirren, Livingston, um, you know, even Dundee United that came up last season, uh, you know, that they, they are the games that uh, that are going to define, um, you know, where they where they end up. Um, and as as they showed last season, you know, there's there's an awful lot that can change as the as the season goes on. That being said, they certainly don't want to be been caught adrift at an early stage and um you know they could really do with with picking up a a couple of really morale boosting points against some of those big guns in the in the early stages um just even to help Malky Mackay um win over some of the dissenting voices uh, that have uh, kind of greeted his appointment on the subject of Malky Mackay he has been doing a a little bit of squad rebuilding, I think, since the last time again that we spoke. I think Ross Callahan from Hamilton has, has signed on, as well as Keith Watson and Blair Spittle. They'd been offered renewals and they have signed them. And Malky McKay has also announced his, his coaching team. So, I mean, they're making, they've, they've started making moves, is probably the best way to put it, Andy, isn't it? But they're, they're not, quite, um, not quite at Don's levels of rebuilding quite yet. No, there's definitely a long way to go. Um, I think Callaghan as a as a first signing is a, a good statement of intent. Uh, it was clear that there was other other interest in him from you know fellow Premiership sides. He was a real standout for Hamilton last season, so to be able to to get him on board kind of sets a, a good tone for for the, the sort of level of of player that they're looking to bring in. But you know, just with the the sheer volume of players that have gone out the door. Um, you know, it's it's clearly very early in the in the rebuilding process, and it'll be interesting to see, you know, whether Malky Mackay's network from down south in particular comes into into play with maybe some loan signings, um, maybe a, a similar type of capture to to that of Teddy Jenks that Aberdeen have made. Um, you know, these these possibilities might 
lend themselves to county, given Malky Mackay had a you know a good few years down south. So um, no, it'll be intriguing to see how uh, how things shape up. We're just over a, a month away, I think, from the the start of Betfred Cup action. So um, I'm sure there'll be a, a plenty more in the in the door by then. Across the Highlands, then and down the division, Cali Thistle, like every other SPFL team, they learned their opening fixtures. It's been quite a big day for them. They've also finally announced their retained list. I imagine that had something to do with the fact that they didn't have a manager in place and they wanted Billy Dodds to kind of make the final call once he'd come in. But they're they're going to start away our broth next term, and then they've got Wraith, Air, and New Boys Kilmarnock in August. So again, I pray. A pretty challenging start for them, but I mean, I suppose in the championship, you don't. It's a bit of a cliche, but you don't get many easy games there. What what are we thinking about there? Who they've let go? Who they've retained? I suppose the. I mean, I mean, for sentimental reasons, the maybe the headline grabber is James Vincent, but you know he hasn't been a regular in the in the side. Um, obviously. You know he's very very fondly remembered for his first spell and in particular the the winning goal he he got in the cup final all those years ago. But you know when you look at just how how formidable a, a midfield they they had last season, you know with Scott Allardyce and Sean Welsh, um, it probably isn't a, a huge surprise on on that front. But uh, I think the the departure of Nikolai Todorov had been expected as the weeks had gone on. Um, he's signed for Dunfermline, which will be a, a sore one for Inverness to take, given you know he was their their top scorer last season, and you know to see him go to a a championship rival, um, you know will be a a, a difficult one. Um, it wouldn't have surprised me to see a Premiership side take a, a chance on him. Um, he's still at a, a good age at twenty four, um, but. Uh, I mean, it's it's clear that's going to necessitate a, a another striking option. They've, you know, there there have been rumours about Billy Mackay coming back, which would be pretty much guaranteed goals in the in the championship. Um, even you know, with the the age he's at, um, so it wouldn't totally surprise me to to see him come in to to replace the you know the goals that that will be lost to the side through Todorov leaving, but. Um, they've still got a decent core of players there but there is a rebuild for for Billy Dodds to to oversee there's there's a few parts missing um Tom Walsh is a, a good addition coming back um he he will be very hungry to kind of pick up from where he left off um and it's you know it's a good a good kind of statement of intent um you know being able to to bring a player back you know just a year after he's departed because it, it didn't all go too well for him down at air and um, you know the fact that he's he's still got fond memories of his time at Inverness and feels like he's got unfinished business kind of speaks volumes for for where Inverness want to go so um, I think that was a, a good starting point for the you know the recruitment work that Billy Dodds is going to look to do over the coming weeks. I was going to ask you about that, whether the Cali Thistle fans or people that live near the ground were more excited about Tom Walsh's return or the impending arrival of Andrea Bocelli to the Caledonian Stadium after wowing us at the Euros opening ceremony. Anyway, Jamie, this is your time to shine. We've also got Cove Rangers, Peterhead and Elgin in the lower leagues finding out 
their fixtures. I think, given we're probably expecting Cove to be in it for the title um, next term, the fact they're starting with another rival, Falkirk, at home, followed by promoted Queen's Park. It's 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 one of, another start, isn't it? Where tough games, but games that if they get results in, then things are looking very rosy right at the start of the season. It's it's certainly going to be a very interesting start to the season for them. Um, obviously, Falkirk are under new management again with Paul Sheeran uh, making the move from from Aberdeen over to sorry, down the roads, and then you've got Queens Park, who despite also winning the winning League Two last season, have changed managers and, and given Laurie Ellis the job, who was the assistant manager last season, and they've certainly kind of made big big splashes since the. Um, Kind of shed their amateur status and became like a professional outfit, and I think they they may well consider themselves as a team that should be challenging for promotion as well. And I think speaking to a couple of the managers that are involved in that division, it's gonna it's gonna increase in difficulty again this season. It was it was the tightest division in Scotland last season with the the kind of how long it took to settle the 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 champion in the end. Um, and I think you're looking at it this season. As well as Cove, you've, you you'll have Alloa, Falkirk, Airdrie, possibly Queens Park, all thinking that they can they can challenge for for the title. <laughs> Ultimately, only one person can can go can go up automatically, and then you've got the playoffs as well, where there's no guarantees that you're going to get up. So somebody, oh, there'll be a few people that'll be missing out. I think come uh, come the end of the season, but I think Cove Cove have retained again the bulk of their squad from. From last season, the only difference is obviously that they're gonna the the five loan players that they had were have all kind of gone back to their parent clubs. The, I think you're looking at it from the end of the season. There's maybe like Connor Smith, Ross Graham, and Kieran and Gwenya were the the kind of ones that were playing a key role in the team. I think Cami Logan and Kevin Hanratty not so much. Then the only kind of permanent departure has been Adam Livingston from who's gone to Clyde, who we had a loan spell at a couple of seasons ago. I think they're still looking to add a few more before before they're done. Um, they've brought in Morgan Neal from Dumbarton and Robbie Leach from, from Falkirk, both of whom worked with, with Gordon Young, uh, the Cove assistant manager, when they were younger at Motherwell. So I think they'll be looking at a few more before the Betfred Cup kind of gets going. Um, as far as kind of Peter Headgo, they've got probably one of the more challenging kind of opening few fixtures. I think they're a, they're at home to Alloa first up and then they're on the road to Falkirk and Montrose in back-to-back weeks. So they'll kind of, they'll have to kind of come out the traps early. I think they're quite happy kind of being below everybody's radar and they're probably quite happy that people expect them to struggle because it gives them something to, to prove people wrong about. And I think they've got a seasoned enough manager in, in Jim McAnally to take to take that as motivation. Um, he's kind of used to shaping squads for the lower leagues. He primarily has a rebuilding job on his hands every year. Um, but I think, I think, I think the main aim will be to kind of just make sure they win enough games to stay in the league first and first and foremost. And then anything above that is a, is a bonus. Hold on to them as well. Peterhead for their, their fundraising for Gary Fraser's knee operation as well as, donating cash to back on side that seems to be going very well they're well over their 10 grand target I think for that Elgin City finally um, Andy 
how how will Elgin be feeling about there? It's Stranraer, isn't it? They start against home to Stranraer, yeah, um, and then they, um, they they've got a I think it's an away game against Cowdenbeath, um, followed by a home game against Albion Rovers. So they, yeah, no, it's it's, it's a decent enough start for them. Um, I think their their first game against Kelty, who are the the newcomers, isn't for a a few weeks after that, and that's that's maybe the only surprise package in the league. It'll be intriguing to see, you know, how they handle the step up. The expectation will be that you know they they'll be well equipped as, in the same way as Cove were um, when when they came into the league a couple of years ago. So um, no, I, th- I think Gavin Price will be confident of making a, a good start, um, as you've touched on with. Cove and Peterhead there, Elgin have retained the bulk of their squad. Um, I suppose the key departure that they've they've had was uh, Stephen Bronski, who's uh, joined league rivals Edinburgh City. Um, a bit of a, a blow for them, but it was you, you know just uh, you know a, a result of his travelling commitments that uh, uh, I think he'd he'd just got a, a new job with the police, which. Uh, or a change in, in, in his job circumstances, anyway, that um, necessitated his departure. They brought Craig Little in. Um, he was with Stenhouse Muir last season. So, you know, the expectation would be that he would slot into the, the back line, maybe to to potentially partner Daryl McCardy. So um, I think Gavin Price will be looking to build on what was achieved last season in, in getting to the playoffs and just hoping that they can, you know, build up the momentum to to give it a, you know, an ultimately more successful push this time around. But uh, as we've touched on many times before, as long as they've, you know, held on to the, the firepower of Kane Hester and they've got the, the midfield ammunition of the likes of Brian Cameron, then Gavin Price is always going to be confident that uh, that there will be goals in, in his side. Finally, then, for this episode of Northern Goal, let's go down to the Highland League and talk about what I think was a sign in that surprised all of us. Brewer Rangers fresh off the back of announcing that club captain and goalkeeper extraordinaire Joe Mallon had signed a new two-year deal. There had been a few departures from Brewer, it must be said. Obviously, they're looking to build after playoff disappointment, failing to get up to the Scottish Leagues. Having waited a couple of seasons for the chance, but over the weekend, announcing that they'd signed former Cali Thistle player, I think a Scottish Cup winner with them, Josh Meekins, that's that's a cue, isn't it? At that level, huge statement of intent. Absolutely, I mean he's a he's a proven SPFL player at the at the kind of top end of things with Inverness, but also a little bit with Dundee as well. Um, I think there's speaking to him on um, on Sunday, the circumstances around uh, his kind of return to the Highlands, his his family's or his kind of partner's family are from from up here, and he's got a young daughter as well. Um, so it's it's a move primarily up for family reasons, and he's also looking at um, his life after football and preparing for preparing for that. He he kind of said to, that it's it's family first on in this kind of from this kind of point on. It's not so much about kind of going around the country and um, trying to get um, trying to chase kind of top level aspirations. And he he was kind of quite realistic, and he said he doesn't know whether he'd be able to kind of to kind of cope with the demands of being. A kind of a, a Premiership footballer again. Um, I must admit, I was. I thought it might it, it might have been a chance for him to go back to Inverness, but he kind of said that there were maybe kind of brief discussions, but nothing 
nothing kind of firm in that respect. But for Brora to get him, it's it's a phenomenal it's a phenomenal signing, and it's probably it's probably an indication what I think Stephen Mackay had said to to Andy before about what they'd kind of seen against Kelty that they needed to they needed to kind of step up a, le- a further level before they were kind of ready to to jump up into the SPFL. They needed kind of that real um, that real kind of peak experience, and I think they've got that in Joshua. At twenty eight as well, he's um, he's by no means kind of at the end of his career. He's still got his own ambitions. He wants to help guide the team into the SPFL, and I think with a couple more signings like that, then it's certainly within their grasp. Okay, if no one has anything else to add, that concludes, I think, this week's episode of Northern Goal. I think we've done okay in straddling the divide between international and club football there. Apologies for using the word straddling. If you enjoyed this episode, you can like and subscribe on your favourite podcast app. You can email us at northerngoal at dctmedia.co.uk. Thanks to Andy, Jamie and Paul for joining me today. Cheers, guys. Thank you. You're welcome. And finally, cover your ears, Jamie. But come on, Scotland. Hope you loved the episode, and if you did, we'd be grateful if you could leave us a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to pick up your copies of the Press and Journal and Evening Express every day for the best football writing and analysis in the North.